Hello and welcome. I am Chris Rawl and it is Wednesday, August 25th. On today's show, the cyclical nature of things and whether that will continue in college football. Before we get to that, I want to start the show where I always start the show. One reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. I'm going to bet college football this week because it is returning to our lives. Week zero, it's a slate of games that will make your stomach churn, but it is real college football. Thus, we must bet as citizens of the world. I'm taking UConn plus 27 and a half at Fresno State. Game takes place at high noon Rocky Mountain time on CBS Sports Network. Not CBS, CBS Sports Network. That's what kind of game this is. College football is so close to us that I can almost taste it. UConn has not played football in two seasons. They took last year off because of COVID. Now they're back. The last time we saw them, they were horrendous. This is a classic example of why betting is so valuable because imagine getting emotionally stirred up for this game without it. I don't even want to know the people that are in that category. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere because it will turn UConn football into must-see television. And now, sports with Chris Rawl. I have recorded a lot of shows over the past month about college football because things are obviously changing. Uh, the biggest talking point on that list is conference realignment, which has kind of spurred this ball rolling downhill. We know some things. We have no idea how other things are going to shape up. And so I've been talking about the butterfly effect of conference realignment. I've been talking about the unintended consequences of conference realignment been talking about the separation between blue bloods and upstarts, uh, the past of that within the sport, the present of that within the sport, and kind of what the future projects to be. So we're checking back in, obviously, because college football is of great interest to me. It is here. There are actually going to be games, which is exciting because I can stop talking about conference realignment or things of that ilk. We can discuss football. But for today... I think there's a lot of very interesting things that are going on within the sport that merit discussion. Um, I, I want to talk about the cyclical nature of things because that's applicable in all walks of life. And that is very applicable in the sport of college football, because within the sport, there are kind of two truths that are generally accepted within the world of college football. Number one, there will always be a ruling class. And number two, most importantly for this show who those teams actually are is cyclical. So this has been prevalent during my lifetime. I was born in 1986. You go back into the 80s and there is a ruling class. It's Nebraska, despite not winning a national title in that decade. It's Oklahoma. It's Miami, who wins three national titles. They burst onto the scene. It's Penn State. They win a couple. It's Michigan. You go into the next decade and Nebraska is the team of the decade with three national titles. Florida State comes cruising onto the scene with Bobby Bowden. You got the rise in, in programs like Florida or Tennessee or Colorado. Uh, Michigan's still there. The next decade, you have Ohio State jumping out with Jim Tressel. You have USC coming onto the scene with Pete Carroll. You have Florida and Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow. You have LSU first with Saban, then with Les Miles. You always have a ruling class within college football. Um, but who those teams are changes for the most part in gradual terms. I want to read something from Bill Conley of ESPN. 
College football has always been ruled by an oligarchy. USC enjoyed seven straight top five finishes from 2002 through 2008. Florida State had 14 straight from 1987 through 2000. Miami had seven straight with three national titles from 1986 through 1992, and so on. If you choose a top 10 poll from the 1970s at random, some combination of Alabama, USC, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Texas are probably occupying at least seven of the spots, end quote. So you see the picture being painted clearly. The ruling class, it's always there in college football, always has been. The perception is it always will be. In the last decade, um, as things are starting to shift within the sport, and I'm just trying to piece together in my own mind how it is different now from the past and what that looks like moving forward, and especially since the playoff was instituted in 2014. I've really started to take pause when it comes to this idea, the cyclical nature of teams being in power and how, yes, there will always be teams in power, but who those teams are, it's going to change sometimes sooner rather than later. And sometimes, as Bill Conley shows in the past, team will be there for 15 years or six years or whatever it will be. Um, However, since the playoff has been instituted, I've got this kind of claustrophobic sense almost that it's the same teams year after year after year. Some of that is spurred by the playoff being in place. It gives team or it gives teams at the top kind of a free get out of jail card, if you will. You can lose a game and still make the playoff. Thus, you were there at the end of the season. I've got this feeling that it seems like the teams at the top are so stationary in a way that it's never been in the past. But I also kind of viewed this as maybe it's just my perception and it's not necessarily as true as I think it is in my mind. Well, We're going to get into that because I want to read three stats from Matt Brown at The Athletic. Stat number one, the two teams that have spent the most time ranked in the AP top five in any five-year period are Alabama from 2016 to 2020 at 96.3% and Clemson from 2016 to 2020, also at 96.3%. Stat number two, in the past five seasons, 11 teams have finished in the final AP top five, tied for the fewest in any five-year period. Stat number three. In the past five seasons, 22 teams have appeared in the AP top five at any point, down from 33 a decade ago. End quote. So you see three stats that are kind of backing up what I thought was perception on my part uh, within this playoff era. It seems like it's the same teams over and over and over, and that's kind of reflected within these numbers. Uh, And so it raises the question always because this is how a lot of these shows when it comes to college football work for me. It boils down to a simple question. What is the most interesting version of college football? And I say this separate from being a fan of any individual team. Obviously, everybody wants their team at the top. You're an Alabama fan. You're having a hell of a lot of fun watching college football, as you should. Um, If you're an Ohio State fan, same thing. When you zoom out and look at it through the prism of, okay, I love the sport of college football. From this zoomed out perspective, is this staticness at the top good or cool for the sport? From my perspective, I would say, no, this is the least interesting version of college football within my lifetime. Uh, The chaotic nature that college football has kind of bred in the past, that is noticeably absent from the playoff era, Uh, the chasm between those teams at the top 
the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Oklahomas, the Ohio States, Georgia, and everybody else outside of those five teams, it, it feels like the Grand Canyon. It never has felt bigger when separating that ruling class that has always existed from everybody else in college football. I want to walk back to the second year of the playoff because there is a specific game. Alabama against Michigan State. Semi-final playoff game that year, 2015, uh, and one that I kind of hesitate to talk about because I went into it with a lot of bright-eyed optimism, which makes me feel very, very dumb in retrospect. Obviously, this was the second year of the playoff. There were still a lot of talking points about what kind of opportunity the playoff itself would give to teams that had not necessarily had it in the past. As a Nebraska football fan, uh, Michigan State being in this semifinal game represented a lot of hope for me because Michigan State, I would look at them and say, they're not that far off from Nebraska. Nebraska can do what they do. Indeed, that year, Michigan State's one loss going into the playoff was against a Nebraska team that wasn't really that good. It's the same reason that small market teams watched the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks play in the NBA Finals this year and found hope and excitement from that. Because reflected in that experience is that could be us. That could be me. Uh, Any small market team watching that went, okay, this is sweet. It's not the Lakers or the Nets or any of these teams that just come in and snatch up a star player. These two teams built through similar mechanisms that our small market team has to build through. That gives me hope, right? So Michigan State being in that game, it's a similar concept for me. And I'm sure that I speak for a lot of fans that are not fans of the ruling class. They said, okay, a four-team playoff, wow. That's two extra teams that get in and have a shot at the national title. And Michigan State, they made it. Wow, we could be Michigan State. Everybody thought that in 2015. Michigan State can make it. Nebraska can make it, right? And on top of that, I also thought Michigan State was a good team because I watched them very closely. Obviously, they're in the Big Ten. I pay very close attention to Big Big Ten football through the prism of Nebraska, So I'm watching them and I'm going, yeah, this is a grinded out Big Ten team in a way that Nebraska could be. Ooh, they beat Ohio State two weeks after losing to Nebraska, possibly the best Ohio State team of the Urban Meyer era, which kept them out of the playoff and put Michigan State in. They had a great Big Ten title win over Iowa. Okay, here we go. They're playing against Alabama, uh, the Death Star that doesn't get blown up at the end of the movie. It's the Death Star that just floats around and exists for all of time and use the big laser weapon to blast planets and and explode them into oblivion. That was and is Alabama. So I'm interested to watch this matchup. Yes, Michigan State enters as a double-digit underdog. However, I'm going, here is the opportunity to see if a team like this can roll out and hang on a field with the Death Star. Uh, We're going to have an answer to the question that I think a lot of people believed going into this, and in certain ways I still kind of believe, but not in the playoff sense, that anybody can win in a one-game scenario in the game of football. There's a lot of random chance that goes into it, Uh, and that the game did not play out in that manner. Alabama wins 38-0. to It is the classic boa constrictor performance that Alabama perfected for years and years and years before turning into this high-octane explosive offense within the last few. It was just send out our defense and they're going to squeeze the life out of Connor Cook and that Michigan State offense. They won't be able to move or literally score. And then on offense, we're going to pound the ball with Derrick Henry. We're going to set up play action and hit 
Calvin Ridley over the top. That was the game plan. That's how it played out. Uh, you see the score and you say, 38-0, wow, that's, uh, that's a whooping. Watching the game, and maybe it was just because of my optimism going into it, the divide between those two teams felt like 100 points or 200 points. It was far more significant than this 38-point margin because in one sense, it was kind of a definitive answer to that question of, uh, yeah, I think, can anybody win in a one-game scenario in a playoff? against a motivated, awesome recruiting powerhouse that also has coaching at its disposal and all the things that Alabama has? The answer was definitively no in that game. And as we've seen in the very few times that a team that is not Ohio State or Oklahoma or Clemson has made the playoff alongside Alabama, we've seen the same thing, whether that was Washington and Jake Browning making it and also getting Boa constrictor out of the playoff, or whether that was Notre Dame last year when you watched for a quarter and change, and I was just like, all right, I'll live bet this game to give it some intrigue, but from a pure football sense, there is no doubt in my mind how this game is going to end up. It will be Alabama marching into the national championship game, and that's how that played out. So the ruling class within the playoff era, it has been static in a way that, yes, I understand in the past there's always been the ruling class and at times it has been static with certain teams. In the playoff era, it seems more claustrophobic than ever. I want to read another thing. This also comes from Matt Brown of The Athletic, another stat. Alabama has won six of the past nine SEC titles. Ohio State has won four consecutive and five of seven Big Ten titles. And Oklahoma in the Big 12 and Clemson in the ACC have won six consecutive conference titles each, end quote. So that is a depressing stat on many levels for somebody like me who says the most interesting version of college football in this specific way mimics what the NFL has. It's a churn. It's the ability to go from first to last or last to first in the blink of an eye. It's the intrigue that any team in the NFL can be good in any given season or bad, depending upon injuries or turnover luck or special teams luck or go down the list of a lot of factors. College football doesn't necessarily have that. And within the playoff era, it most definitely does not have that reflected by these numbers, reflected by the power conferences being dominated by the same teams again and again and again and again and again to the point where that chasm that I spoke about earlier, it seems so large on the national title contention scale and it seems just as large in a lot of these conference title races. It's why we come into the season and Clemson to win the ACC is a huge, huge, huge money line favorite in a way that is very bizarre when you consider there's a bunch of teams vying for that conference title. It's why Oklahoma is always minus money to win the Big 12 at the start of the season before it's even begun. It's why Ohio State is minus money to win the Ohio or win the Big Ten title this year. All three of those teams, heavy money line favorites to win their conferences outright at the start of the season. That paints a picture of, hmm, the ruling class is here and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere for some time. So one of the questions that holds intrigue going into this particular season, which is a different question from looking over a five-year span or over a decade span. One of the questions for this specific year, 2021, is if you're looking to construct a contender that is not one of these big boys, one of these recruiting heavyweights, that have rosters just loaded with NFL talent and supplemented with 
quality coaching, if you're not them, what is your pathway to contention? Whether that's in a, a conference title race in these power conferences or whether that is in a dream world in the national title race. Uh, the game plan would essentially be what Oregon and Marcus Mariota had with Oregon in 2014, the first year of the playoff. They beat Florida State in the semis. They lose to Ohio State in the title game. But it was a roster that was good enough. They recruited reasonably well and supplemented by a transcendent quarterback in Mariota, who's one of the best college quarterbacks of my lifetime. And so you go down the list and you're trying to find that combination. You're saying, who has good enough talent or maybe a ton of talent, but not the quarterback or who has the quarterback and good enough talent? How do we piece together a contender that can take down one of these heavyweights? Uh, Ohio State is a team that's being talked about a lot right now because they have very intriguing pieces. Brock Purdy, he's their quarterback. He's not Marcus Mariota, but he is very good. He's a quality college quarterback. They have talent on their roster. They have preseason All-Americans. They have NFL draft prospects. They have an incredible coach in Matt Campbell. There's a world where they could dethrone Oklahoma in the Big 12 and possibly sneak into a college football playoff berth. There is a world that that exists. I, I do believe that. Once you get to the playoff, that's always maybe a different story as I've felt in the past when Alabama played Michigan State or Washington or Notre Dame. Uh, you go down the list of college football teams and you're saying, okay, uh, could Texas A&M break through in the SEC West and the SEC? They have been recruiting incredibly well. Uh since Jimbo Fisher's been there, they have enormous question marks at quarterback. Could they piece something together this year? Who knows? Uh, ACC, North Carolina, Miami, they both have great quarterbacks. Sam Howell, he's going to be a top NFL draft pick, presumably. Garrett King's been awesome. Hopefully he's fully recovered from his injury. Maybe they don't have the depth and talent to contend with Clemson. I don't know. These are the questions that everybody is asking when you're looking for a more interesting version of college football, one where the ruling class is challenged by these usurpers. Uh, even Georgia, the one team that was not mentioned on these lists, who has been part of the ruling class, in my opinion, despite not winning a national title over the last or since the playoff began. Um, but they are a team that has recruited as well as anybody in college football. And yes, they have failed to win a national championship. Part of that is dumb luck. I mean, they beat Oklahoma in a semi in a crazy back-and-forth overtime game and then lose on a walk-off two at a Devontae Smith touchdown in overtime of that national title game. And part of it is just because they have the unfortunate draw of playing in the SEC. And even in a four-team playoff, it's hard to secure one of those other spots when you got to go head-to-head against Alabama sooner rather than later in the regular season or in the conference title game. But even that team, which is separate from these usurper class, they're looking at themselves and saying, okay, the biggest question mark for us, we have the talent in place. Everybody knows that. Again, they have recruited as well as anybody. Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, you name it. Their roster is as stocked as literally anybody in football. If JT Daniels, our quarterback, is the answer, well, we're immediately right at the top of the list when it comes to who can win a national title in this season. That is a question that holds a lot of intrigue for me as a fan of the sport and as a fan of Georgia holds at least a little bit of newness to it because they haven't won a national title and they keep falling short of making the playoff except for that one year because they're in the SEC. So we go back to the theme of kind of the show and one of the things that I'm reflecting on is I try to piece together what college football 
is going to be moving forward. Um, the cyclical nature of things, which has always existed within the sport. And my first question is the obvious one. Just does this hold true as we enter into these uncharted waters in college football? So many new things that are popping about. Again, I've talked about this a lot on past shows, but you got name, image, and likeness stuff popping up. You got paying players popping up. You got incredible transfer freedom that never existed in the past for players. That's an enormous thing. The transfer portal is now covered in the same way that recruiting was covered in the past. There's just so many players that are constantly on the market when they enter into that transfer portal. Conference realignment, obviously the biggest piece that we're still trying to click into place and understand how this exists. Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, is there a trickle-down effect? How many teams are going to be affected by this? All of them, but in what capacity? Uh, Even yesterday, this news of the Big Ten and the ACC and the Pac-12 trying to formulate some sort of alliance. We don't know what that means, despite the fact that they actually had a release about it and said, yeah, we have a union, but we don't necessarily know what that means. We're going to schedule some games together and maybe align within the vision of, of how we're voting on the playoff and that kind of stuff. But we still don't know a lot of what is going into that specific thing. Um, cue up Bob Dylan, the times they are changing, all that stuff. That's college football right now. Biggest state of flux in my lifetime and one that I think myself and a lot of people believe will alter the sport in ways that are irrevocable. What those ways are, we're finding out. So when it comes to the cyclical nature of things and when it comes to this ruling class of college football, does that churn at the top, which has been prevalent in the past, not as much now, um, does that return? You know, do we have teams that jump up and take the place of Ohio State or Clemson or Oklahoma or Alabama or Georgia? Um, Or are we entering into kind of a newer version of college football where the powers that be stay the powers? These recruiting powerhouses that it looks like there's no end in sight to the level that they can recruit at relative to the rest of the teams within the sport. Uh, When you're trying to do what I did for this particular season in 2021 and say, who can usurp these teams? When you're zooming out and saying, who seems close to dethroning Alabama or Ohio State or Oklahoma or Clemson within each of their conferences? Outside of Georgia, the one team that is capable of doing that right now, who looks like they're actually ready to be a consistent power within the sport moving forward? There's not a lot of of teams that I see an easy pathway towards that in the near future. I mentioned A&M, which has been recruiting awesome. They're now in the SEC. Texas coming into that conference throws a wrench into their plans because now they're battling them again for recruits within the same conference. But I don't know. A&M, LSU, they have incredible highs and lows. Their highs are awesome because they're winning national titles, uh, but their lows are low. Is it Penn State? Is it Michigan? I don't know. Uh, There is a map that exists for each of these teams, how realistic it is. That's what I kind of battle with. And that's what I also look at as I watch college football since 2014. And as I read the stats that were listed by Matt Brown, and I go, "Uh, it seems less likely by the day that that constant turn at the top is going to be happening moving forward. But I don't know. I can't tell if that if the cycle is ending. Um, or if I just can't envision the change at the top, even though I've seen it 
happen in the sport. I don't know. That's part of trying to piece together the puzzle in my mind of what this sport is moving forward. So maybe it's as simple as just waiting for Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney to leave their schools. Maybe it's as simple as that. And somebody else takes over and they're slightly not as good at conducting those programs in the manner that they've been conducted. Or maybe we're ushering in a new era where the cyclical nature of things is replaced by the status quo. (laughs) 